Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. We know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'll be your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network and our fine family of broadcast affiliates across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, and now in 20 Asian countries. On tonight's show, I'll be speaking to Larry Panchuk in a few minutes. We're going to be talking about The Devil's Magnet, his book. We're also going to be talking about UFOs and other phenomenon. John Stanley is going to be joining us in hour number two, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about the TV horror show that he used to host. Hour number three, T. Casey Brennan. Well, he claims to have pulled the trigger in the JFK assassination, and he is the most vocal MK Ultra victim. And in hour number four, Cal Korf will be joining us, as well as Henry May, to discuss the anniversary, the 40th anniversary, of the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film of Bigfoot. If you'd like to give us a call, our toll-free number is one 528 That's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at one 528 My email address is xzone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradio.com. Larry Panchuk joins us now. Larry is a Canadian author. He released his first novel last year entitled The Devil's Magnet. Larry refers to himself as an explorer, and he's uh, traveled all over North America and in Europe. He's a graduate of the uh, National Broadcasting School in Toronto, Ontario. And while working in Toronto, some of his photo work appeared in TV Guide and Fortune magazine in the U.S., his past experiences would fill a large museum from exploring caves in Belgium to his underwater exploration of caves in Florida, freshwater springs. 
Now, like any other explorer, Larry lives to go directly uh, to with his studies into mysteries using his powerful talent of observation. And uh, this guy, the last time he was with us, we talked about the Mayan calendar in the year 2012. Well, Larry actually went down to Central America, spoke to the Mayans, and got the inside scoop firsthand. When we come back from this commercial break in a couple of minutes, I'll ask Larry to do a recap on the Mayan calendar. And then we're going to talk to Larry about other paranormal topics, including, let's see, we'll talk to him about UFOs. And then I'd like to talk to Larry about Tesla. one 877 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. And this is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network. If you'd like to uh, get your copy of the X Chronicles newspaper, you can just send an email to xzone at talkstarradio.com and we'll be glad to send it to you at our earliest convenience. Super stories, and we also have some great photos in there. And the advertisers, they are the best in the world. The Exxon continues on the other side of this two-minute break with Larry Panchuk right here on the Talkstar Radio Network. Don't go away, Exxon. We're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Larry Pine checks our special guest. Hey, Larry, how are you? How are things down in Florida these days? Hey, pretty good, Rob. Pretty good tonight. Fantastic. Uh, Larry, the last time you were on, you and I were discussing the Mayan calendar. You actually went down and spoke to the Mayans. And I was wondering if you could recap what you were told by the people in the know when you talked to them about their calendar. Yeah, Rob, uh, I spent a couple months there traveling from area to area, meeting with the uh, different Mayan uh, people across Central America and Southern Mexico area, and really, in, especially like in the birthplace of where the Mayan culture really seemed to have uh, started up, 
And when I sat down and went through their folklores and their stories, we touched uh, back and forth on the calendar and slowly got the, you know, the, the stories that were passed down generation to generation. Uh, what we found was it looks like the bottom line. And because they lived so much astrologically that everything that they did was, you know, governed by the movement of the stars, mm-hmm. we find that this one specific night when everything uh, comes together on December 21st, uh, 2012, there's an alignment with the Milky Way galaxy with our sun and our, our planet and system. And it seems that it was timed right for that. And it was to be, you know, really marked at the end of the first age for the Mayan people. There are a lot of other stories involved, uh, such as a sacred temple, which uh, no one seems to know about. It's like it's the secret temple, and even the Mayans say, well, we really don't know which one. You know, <laughs> One of the amazing things is that a lot of the temples are still buried under Earth. So that uh, really started to cross my mind, that you know, how much do we really know about these people? You know? <laughs> it seems like we've just scratched the There's, surface, um, so to speak. Yeah. a site in Cerros matter of fact that I'm hoping the archaeologists are going to start uh, next year they're going to start unearthing uh, the site and I have a little bit of a bet running with the local Mayan people there that the temple will face west is what I'm predicting why do you predict uh, west uh, that's something we'll hopefully we'll find out soon and I'm hoping there'll be some uh, some sort of carvings or anything on there that might indicate something more about the area because it was it looks like it's probably the birthplace, at least, of their politics and some of their culture. So it's a significant site. It's a smaller one, but it's a very, very old one, which, you know, makes it interesting. Larry, is there a connection yeah, the between... Calendar wrap -up, uh, the calendar wrap-up just looks like at the end of a first age. The other stories we ran into were stories about uh, lightning, uh, large lights of beams that would come down to this one sacred temple that was selected for that evening, for that midnight of that hour and that everything had to come together for that night, and the, the process would lead towards uh, the return mm -hmm. of their gods. There was uh, another story that was significant like that, where lightning would hit virtually all the temples. Uh, just some amazing uh, different stories that we picked up. But uh, the best one, I think, was the idea that the lightning, if it did not hit the correct temple that night, that absolutely nothing would happen, and that the minds would go on into their what they would call their second age. Their cultures. So now, it was an interesting, interesting trip, Rob. Larry, is there a connection between the Mayans and the Egyptians? I think we uh, we looked at. Uh, I know you had a question. Uh, I think someone sent in a question. We had a lot of email come in uh, just so that fact right after that about the uh, Atlantis connection. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is when I study something like this, one of the things I really look at is timeline. Timeline right. sort of you know should should really be. Uh, tells us a lot about anything we're looking at. And the timeline with the Egyptian rulers to the timeline of the, the Mayan culture doesn't really fit. There's a, there's a huge, you know, almost a 10,000-year gap there, which a lot can happen in 10,000 years. So uh, the connection with the Atlantis situation we looked at, and I was trying to find out about their maritime activities with their boats to see what kind of technology they had. Uh, Partly because, you know, this might link something if we could find out, because I was surprised. The Mayans had some very large trade routes where they did a lot of maritime activities and hauled a lot of goods up and down the coastlines. And they really, even the Mayans themselves, could not tell me exactly any knowledge to how far they actually traveled with these. Uh, the timeline for Atlantis would probably 
be something where I would look at uh, the people called the Olmec, which were just north of the Mayan area. They're more up in the Mexican Yucatan areas where they where they were found, and they're very mysterious people. We know nothing about them, but there is one significant uh, issue there. The statues they carved look uh, sort of North African or Mediterranean sort of style in the face, and had helmets on, which really you know starts to make you wonder if there isn't some kind of Atlantis connection at that point, and the timeline would fit you know more towards that timeline of Atlantis and, and the Egyptian rulers. Now, there is something there that still needs to be uncovered. There's a tremendous amount of work to do to, to uh, that that site is is so heavily buried. They're actually doing core drill uh, to get some of the samples up of the city that was built by them. It's buried anywhere from 50 to 60 feet underground at that point. So you can imagine, Rob, that's that's deep. It certainly is. That's a lot of dirt, you know. <laughs> There's nearly as much dirt there as there in the, is in the politician's backyard. There you go, there you go. <laughs> now, it's uh, scary to run core sample there, though. I would imagine so. Larry, uh, where do UFOs fit into the tales of Atlantis as well as the Mayan, uh, Mayan myth and folklore? I think one of the things that uh, I touched on with you before was the, uh, the crystal skull. That, yes. that really bothers me because... Um, the technology there really starts to add, ask some questions because one of the uh, stories, of course, going back into Atlantis was was the idea that the city used uh, crystals and they used crystals for power. Even it was part of that story from Plato, which which of course Plato wrote this as he recorded it from an Egyptian ruler as the story was passed on to him. So there was sort of a you know an interesting connection there that we had to think about because the skulls are still still to this day remain quite a bit of a mystery. You know, it's like technology that they just really can't quite explain. And uh, I think I might have a, something of a handle on it, but I'd have to do some experiments uh, down there, hopefully as early as next year. I want to take a look at something that's in the area that I think may or may not answer some part of the question about the, the basis of how these crystal skulls came about. How do we know that Atlantis was real and just not another legend with no with no real core. It was just a story told and passed on from generation to generation. How do we know that Atlantis yeah. is real? Yeah, good question. And I, I guess we all, I mean, we've been asking that for a long time now. The Probably the biggest basis problem is that Plato had a lot of these uh, unusual stories, such as Troy. Mm-hmm. And things through archaeology have turned up and turned out that Plato was writing about something that was real. And there was a, there was a true basis for it. The only thing that really loans, uh, that strikes me hard about Atlantis when I went over the, the story and the translation from Plato's story was that the technology that was described in Atlantis, it, it's almost like telling um, a, you know, a Star Trek episode to somebody in the middle of the 1800s for a storyline. I mean, the technology is really out of sync with anything around them. It's, it's just so fantasyful that uh, it really, you know, doesn't fit with the time so it almost says it must have been real or there had to be some basis to it because there's just too much technology involved with the story of Atlantis for the uh, you know the, those early times with the Egyptians and certainly being passed on to uh, Plato at the time you still don't have that kind of technology laying around I, I so know but is, you know, is that's where you sort of open up a, you know, your eyebrow raises you say I, I need to take a better look at this because 
how would they just come up with this, you know, fantastic story? And the well, let's, well, let's take a look at let's take a look at things like uh, Leonardo da Vinci and and his helicopter. You, you know, this was way before the time of of aeronautics, and yet he came up with this little idea. He came up with a lot of inventions. Yeah, and one of the big problems, of course, is the Library of Alexandria, which burned mm-hmm. about three times in history that we know of. So, a lot of documentation it was incredibly lost back at that time. So, we really don't know. You know, to this day, we really don't know all the sources of what people had or what they were able to look at. You know, I truly believe that uh, there's probably been some more past to us than uh, than we've ever discovered, and we're still going to be running into it at some point in the future. Uh, hopefully, maybe we'll dig something up. But I truly believe that there's, there's been more happened than we really have a handle on. I mean, look at our technology right now, Rob, from, from you know the wooden cabins to now in only a couple hundred years, and we only really have a good handle on the last three or four thousand years after that it gets pretty sketchy so just imagine something could have happened ten or twenty thousand years ago we would have no clue you know, we really wouldn't unless we found something or some documentation on it do you think that this uh, the other this thing is... with Atlantis is, is I, I guess the question there is too is there would be you might think there might be some kind of DNA uh, crossover and that's something with that science are getting so close to now you know that at some point they will probably be able to run DNA tests, um, say, within the, even the Mayan culture, and sort of track it back as to where it goes exactly. And unless you find some intrusion, you know, that was, say, from the Mediterranean or mm-hmm. something, um, there's another question. You know, did the Atlanteans come, leave their technology, but um, they didn't produce anyone, and there's, it's just their culture just simply died out when they did, per se, if they escaped from the, uh, what was supposed to be a terrible catechism when the city went. We don't really know, you know, if anyone got out of it. Uh, but if there, were, if there was that... didn't explain at that point whether anyone escaped from that mess. If there was a major cataclysm that wiped yeah. out of Atlantis, wouldn't that major cataclysm also have wiped out other civilizations? I agree, and I, I think it uh, it wouldn't have been as... Uh, it wouldn't have been just isolated to Atlantis. I would, would think there would be some uh, records of it or even residual things that could be dug up or found mm-hmm. that might, you know, tie in with the storylines. And I guess the real biggest problem we've got, Rob, is we don't know where it was. Uh, there's a fellow fighting to try to prove that it was off the coast of Greece. There's another one that thinks it's Bimini Island because of Edgar Casey. We have people thinking Atlantis may have been near Cuba. Yeah, I've heard that there's one. There's just so many places where we keep trying to place this. And depending on the nature of, of what really was the fall of that city... Uh, whether it was volcanic or whether it was, you know, the crystal power and just the amount of energy these people were using that blew up the city at the time when there was a so-called war. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a political war, of course, before all this went down. Hey, Larry, our stand city. by. We've got to take our news at the bottom of the hour. Larry Panchuk's our special guest. He's the author of um, The Devil's Magnet. And if you'd like to visit his website, it's www findboatparts.com forward slash adventure dot htm and Larry and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break talking about UFOs, Bigfoot, NASA Nikola Tesla, Mayan Studies Jesse Marcel's new book and much more right here live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful It's not all sports points and touchdowns So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment 
Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Now, I think I know why. Sounded so strange on the telephone. Well, it's hard when you discover what keeps you going. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. Larry Panchuk is our special guest. He's the author of The Devil's Magnet. And if you'd like to find out more about Larry or his book, www.findboatparts.com forward slash adventure.htm. 1-877-528-8255 is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My email address is xzone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, Talkstar Radio at Hotmail.com, and our website, www.xzoneradio.com. Larry, uh, we, we touched briefly on UFOs before. What's been your experience uh, as an explorer with UFOs? Quite a number of uh, things, Rob. I recently interviewed a man uh, several weeks back who had his rendition of a UFO story of his. I think you would have liked it because uh, it sort of fits in with a lot of what we talked about uh, last time. Uh, he described, uh, let's see, he was living about 20 miles north of Detroit. This is well over 20 years ago when it happened, but he saw these UFOs that were very disc-like that were coming in at night, and he, where he lived was a large power station nearby, substation with all the high-voltage lines mm-hmm. for probably the auto you know, industry. So these would come in 1, 2 o'clock in the morning at times, and he started seeing them when he got up one night in the middle of the night for, you know, the glass of water, looked out the back window of the farmhouse and saw these things hanging around the uh, substation and, you know, started sort of studying them. This went on for a few weeks, but he said it would just, it would happen whenever. It was very spontaneous. And uh, some weeks down the road, a woman in another farm in the same area complained to a newspaper, and they did an article about it. Well, he said the day after she did that, it stopped. So I guess what uh, the fellow's name Dave was trying
trying to tell me was that he believed it was all you know U.S. military driven. Mm. Yeah, a lot and of people. A are... lot of the military, I think, we can you know sort of uh, probably blame on a lot of what we're seeing or what we think we we're seeing. You know the, the, yeah, the... Uh, other thing I ran into was uh, I had a fella come to me a little over six years ago, and he had probably a really good story. He had worked at Area 51, and he'd been involved quite a bit. He's, he was an aeronautical, uh, aeronautical excuse me, uh, engineer. And unfortunately, the week end before he could meet with me, he had a, um, he suffered a very tragic car accident and passed away. That uh, a few of my uh, friends and I at the time were discussing with him, and uh, we were going to get back and sit down and have a real good night of it. So we still we're still a little skeptical over what, what happened that night because it's uh, it was a bizarre accident itself. A large transport truck just simply ran through the side of his car as he was coming off a small street. So that kind of thing, Rob, sort of almost makes you want to shut your mouth, you know? Not me. It just wants to get me going. Yeah. Well, uh, we I was really looking forward to sitting and chatting with this fellow mm-hmm. because uh, he was working at. Uh, at that time for, I guess, Gulfstream aircraft on a contract basis, but he'd been doing a lot of work for the military. And he was even a little spooked when he said, no, we'll sit down like next weekend. And I uh, still look back mm-hmm. on it, and it's one of those things where you start questioning things because uh, it just seemed awfully convenient somehow that just that happened to be the week that he would have a, you know, this auto accident. And uh, he was killed instantly in the accident. So Coincidence? He really just didn't have a chance at that point. But, uh, there's been um, quite a few different people that I've sat down and went over their information with, and it's it's like you said, Rob, proof. You know, yeah. where is the proof? And Where's so the beef? That's probably the biggest thing. I talked to a gentleman who was out hunting them. Uh, in he was hanging around Area 51, and he did see something one night. And I, I guess I can sort of relate to the situation. He got so excited and enthusiastic. He left the camera, left the car, walked outside, ran out into the field a bit, and was watching this thing, just amazed by it. And then after it was gone, realized he hadn't done anything. He had taken no pictures, nothing. <laughs> now, that sounds like something I would do, you know? <laughs> but uh, it, what, what does that tell you about the credibility of the person, though? How can, how can you take well, him seriously? It, it, it gives a nice human touch to it, because I know myself... Uh, I think if I saw something that incredible, I would probably be stalled and just standing there and staring. And, and then after it's gone, you think, man, you know, I had a digital camera sitting here. Why didn't I take yeah. a picture? <laughs> you know? So, so it, uh, it, it sort of had a, a nice human sound to it anyways when he explained the story. And I laughed. And he thought, and he's uh, working in that field. That's what he researches. This is what he chases after. And, you know, his big moment, he was just, was just so amazed, forgot about everything else. So... <laughs> And then so they I'm wonder. Try to break those rules. Yeah. And then they so wonder why way, people don't take. There's a great take... article in uh, X Chronicles newspaper this week on the Mayan calendar. If anybody's interested. Yeah, thank you. We should mention that. Tell me, uh, Nikola you Tesla. There, Nikola Tesla. Yeah. What, what, what do you say about what, what do you say about Nikola Tesla? I started my book based on uh, a Nikola Tesla because I, I ran into a, a seminar that uh, he gave back in eighteen. Uh, this was eighteen ninety four to eighteen ninety six. He appeared at the uh, university in Pittsburgh, and we got to think in terms of uh, 
this is a man who just, well, there's just, he's the Einstein of electricity. He just invented and just built so many tremendous and very powerful things, such as Niagara Falls. So that's, that's his baby mm-hmm. with all that power that comes out of there. But uh, he was like the godfather of AC. He was just so many things. But uh, he was experimenting with his radio coil, and he had developed a receiver. Now, this is the only guy on the planet, theoretically, Rob, that night has a receiver, and he says he's getting these deep signals in from outer space. I don't know if you've heard about this before in the past, but uh, it shocked me because the only person on the planet is listening to a radio, and it's pointed out into space, and somehow he's managing to get these deeps. And his next experiment, he wanted to uh, actually transmit back to these beeps and see if he was communicating with uh, some other source or aliens because of this uh, unusual radio signal. So the book was kind of based on that beginning uh, of this happening. This, this was an actual event that's documented. And theoretically, I was told that the U.S. military at that point even uh, asked Tesla not to speak about it anymore and to leave it alone, which means that Roswell may have been a cover-up, but, my God, almost 50 years before that, we had another cover-up. So isn't that a little mind-blowing? Yeah, it is. It, it, it really is, because, you know, why don't the authorities just say it the way it is? If they're responsible for the majority of UFO sightings that are going on, you know, just say, all right, guys, that's us. However, if it's in the, uh, if it's in the domain of national security, then I certainly understand that ufologists have created the perfect cover story. They certainly have. They really have. It can go both ways. And I've heard so many theories uh, from the cover-up to the security situation mm-hmm. where they just sort of want to brush it aside. There is just so much involved. But, uh, again, you know, the old proof is in the pudding and, and just I would love to see a piece of equipment that came from the Roswell crash, but unfortunately, there's you know it's just not going to happen. Uh, in my book, I did a timeline, and oddly enough, as the experiment continued with uh, Tesla, with wanting to send a signal back uh, to this beeping source that was unknown, the uh, next real major event that I noticed we had, at least in history, from my observations, was this huge explosion in the Tungus Valley in Russia that flattened trees for, you know, miles around. Right. And they weren't able to theoretically get in there for almost 12 years before anyone could get near the site to do any research on it, and they found nothing. They found absolutely nothing except these flattened trees, which has sort of remained a mystery to this day. And I have been fighting that mystery all along and saying that we probably didn't look at it right, you know, that we didn't do the right ground test, and that there has got to be residual. You do not get that kind of energy and say that nothing happened. We, we've, we've had guests on the show who claim that it was a uh, an above-ground meteor burst. Yeah, yeah. But even if it was, uh, okay, at ground zero, you may not have anything residual that you could find, but out and around the explosions, uh, the whole area, you're going to find, uh, I believe, residual. If you had looked hard and long enough, I believe you would have found things. There, there had to have been... Uh, something physically there. You just don't get that kind of reaction. And I was looking at the report also because um, in England even, they saw the light from this thing. So looking at the curvature of the Earth and where England is from that that night that this thing happened, it was like, 
this thing had to be just absolutely amazing for size. And certainly, you don't, you know, this did not happen from a grain of sand. This had to no. be something major that came in. And what I bothered me was that it just so happened to almost coincide with the experiments and going on with Tesla and him wanting to uh, transmit a signal back. So the book kind of starts off with the idea that uh, possibly this signal, maybe this was some uh, satellite system that had been left here that could have been here for thousands of years that we had knew nothing about. The first man to turn radio on, of course, is also, I guess we'll say it was the first SETI, <laughs> you know, picks up a signal and says, hey, there's something out here that's beeping at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we were I was looking for documentation to find out exactly how close the beeps were together. Uh, I would love to see frequency and volume and things so I could do a little bit more research in that area. Uh, from my uh, experience, uh, I could probably say we could maybe guesstimate a little better as to how close the source was to what he had at the time. If we could somehow reproduce almost the experiment itself, it would be really classic. But um, I, I timeline that in with it. So the book sort of starts in with there and starts the, you know, rolling the mystery. And I took the political uh, situations that occurred right through the 20th century and sort of linked up with these things as falling into place and how this whole thing could uh, be in some ways a cover-up and a lot of political powers that be have, have made agreements and things have not been spoken that have happened. So uh, a lot of people that have read the uh, book now have all, the reviews have been awesome, just awesome. You know, everyone I think gets a shock when they read it and they say, you know, as I read through, I kept stopping and saying, man, I remember when that happened mm-hmm. or... I remember reading about that, and no one knew what, why or what happened here. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of good uh, generated uh, reviews, and a lot of uh, readers really said they enjoyed it. It was kind of fanciful, but at the same time, it was based on a lot of uh, realities of facts, things that actually did happen in history. But what I did was I took the timelines and took the time to sort of story link everything together and say, well, this could have caused this, could have caused this, and this is what can this is what could be produced from a situation like this. But, uh, Tesla, there's um, something else that I tripped into that I've been looking at. Uh, remember that? we were talking about the Coral Castle? Yes. Uh, are you aware of Ed's machine that uh, he tried to patent? No, I'm not. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's still on display. Now, mind you, half the machinery is missing, but there's a picture that I have here of Ed uh, hand-cranking this um, field generator of magnets and coils that Ed had uh, built, and he tried to patent it at that time, the patent office kept turning him down. The U.S. military looked at it, and there's now some uh, evidence that it's possible that Tesla may have been brought in to consult with the U.S. military and look at this device that Ed had built out of the Coral Castle. Interesting. So I thought that was pretty astounding and uh, well worth taking a look at that as a, another place to explore, you know, something that may or may not have happened in, in history. I've looked at the machine several times myself, and I just wish... Uh, there was more parts there that we could, you know, take a look at. Mm-hmm. I've taken a look at his picture. There was some theories that Ed had possibly used this thing to help move the blocks in the Coral Castle around. But if we, uh, there, there, here I go again using that word. But if you timeline it, no, the blocks were moved before Ed built this machine. So there's no connection there. But Ed felt this thing could run a spaceship all the way to Pluto, is what he claimed, and drive it back. And uh, the fact that I believe Tesla did see the machine sort of is, a, I think, an interesting connection there that we, you know, Tesla may have seen and knew something more about it than what Ed built. You know. 
I was just thought I'd mention that tonight to you. Sure. There's, uh, there's quite a few things going on down here. Uh, I'm in Florida tonight out by St. Augustine. There's a dig here that's uh, not real earth-shaking, but they've uh, found a small Indian village that uh, predates when the Spanish came here. And they didn't realize Indians even lived in this area. So it's a little bit of a shaker. And one of the things they found in the dig that's a little bit early to say because the archaeologists are still pulling this thing apart as they're digging up the ground, mm -hmm. there appears to be a temple, some kind of a temple area where the uh, Indians may have had some kind of uh, you know, worship or religion with a temple situation, which really throws things a little bit because this is something we just did not know about for this area with Seminole Indians. And they believed they had traveled up and down the coast, but and this was a good hunting ground possibly, but they had no idea that they ever tried to establish themselves here in this area. All right, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about Bigfoot. My name's Rob McConnell, and this is The Exxon, and we're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call, one 528 8255 That's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii at one 528 8255 Larry Panchuk's our very special guest, and his website is findboatparts.com forward slash adventure.htm. And we'll be back on the other side of this four-minute break as we continue live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Sweetest apple on the tree. I've got the notion to tell you about my history, people. I've got the notion to tell you about how I came up in the world. Yeah. Now, look, I used to go to school and act a clown and fool, and I used to chase the ladies all around. Larry Panchuk's our special guest, and uh, we've been talking about the Mayan calendar. We've been talking about Nikola Tesla. Uh, we were we touched a little bit on UFOs. Now, 
What is your take, Larry, as an adventurer who's been around the world on Bigfoot? Rob, Bigfoot is um, it's a topic that is, you know, is it mind or myth or mm-hmm. what is it? And I think that uh, I keep stumbling into Bigfoot, and it's, every time I do, uh, it starts to shake my, my belief that there's more than just myth to the story. Uh, last time I was on, I... I told you a little bit about running into a Mayan uh, old folklore story about mm-hmm. a hairy beast man that uh, wandered the jungles at night. So when I ran into that down there, all the little hairs in the back of your neck kind of stand up and you say, wait a minute, this is starting to sound familiar. You yeah. know, like, didn't I know this guy over in the West Coast? Uh, I had my own personal, I guess, run in with what was possibly a Bigfoot when I was seven years old. We were uh, living just north of uh, Vancouver, and we were up in the mountain part of the uh, British Columbia area, and we were at seven years of age. Uh, I had a couple of friends at the time that were eight and seven years, and the three of us uh, boys, we explored the woods there quite a bit, and we wandered off one time miles away from you know anything in the area. And if you ever went to those forests, Rob, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the uh, large forest, like in Brazil. It, it has like a canopy, and it's yes. very wet and very dark when yep. you get into the, uh, the, the heavier areas uh, in British Columbia. It's so, almost as bad as the back, as bad as the black forest in it, Europe. It, yeah. it has that kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, you two steps in, and suddenly it's midnight kind of uh, effect. So it's something you almost have to be there and see it to really take in the the awe of how much sunlight is blocked out and just how much green growth in, say, the middle of summer, and it's, it's very damp and very wet. Uh, we came up on a ravine, and we saw some sort of animal that was sort of semi-humped over what looked like a wet fallen log, and it looked like he was pulling pieces of bark off it, eating it or something. We really didn't know what it was. We thought it was an escaped gorilla from the zoo or a circus is what we thought. We were seven years old. Mm-hmm. And this thing had its back turned to us. We were dead quiet. One of us whispered something about the gorilla, and this thing stood up, took two steps into that bush, and was gone. And we were seven years old, Rob, so you you can sort of smile, laugh at us. We thought, gorilla, you know, escaped. We'll chase this thing. We'll find out where it's living, and we'll report it, and we'll be heroes or something. You know, this is the mentality of a seven-year-old, you know. Yeah. No fear. <laughs> no no fear. I would have said, all right, what we're going to do, gang, is we're going to uh, report it and get the reward and then spend yeah. it on candy. Larry, we've got to say so long for tonight. Oh, Always man. a great pleasure talking to you. Look forward to the next time when you visit hey. us here in the Exxon. Always, Rob. You take next care. Time. Take care of yourself, my Super friend. thanks, and we'll talk to you again. Be good, Larry. All righty. Larry night, Panchuk, www.findboatparts.com forward slash adventure.htm. When we come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, I'm going to be talking to John Stanley, who was the host of a TV horror show. And we're going to talk to him about the guests he had and what it was like hosting a horror show. Um, Let's see. It's going to be a great hour. Then we still have T. Casey Brennan, the man who claims to have been the trigger man in the JFK assassination. And Cal Corfa and Henry May will be talking about... Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. 
forest metaphors. Presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.